0: This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. I can no longer sit back and allow communist infiltration, communist indoctrination, communist subversion, and the international communist conspiracy to sap and impurify all of our precious bodily fluids.
1: Hi, this is Shane.
0: And this is Virginia. And this is Wait, You've Never Seen? A podcast dedicated to discussing well-known movies and TV shows that one of us has never seen.
1: Today, we are discussing. Wait, you've never seen Doctor Strangelove? Or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb?
0: No, I was too busy preserving my precious bodily fluids. That's really funny. Precious
1: bodily fluids. So. (laughs) My goodness.
0: Up front, um, we do have a couple of trigger warnings. There are some military skirmishes, so um, be prepared for that. And there also is a suicide. So also be prepared for that. What?
1: Everyone on earth dies also.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Spoilers. <laughs> That's the end though. Yeah, luckily. yeah. otherwise you have no movie.
0: Right. Ah <laughs> uh, the end of the world as we know it. Do you think that we could make that happen now? Like just magnetize an asteroid to come blow us up? Okay, maybe I'll edit this out since it's kind of a downer. Anyway.
1: <laughs> well, I mean it's such a it's such a delightful movie.
0: Right, right.
1: So, I have a couple of questions for you. Okay. First of all what three things did you expect from this movie? <laughs> Dr. Strangelove or how it... I won't keep saying the whole title.
0: Why does it have such a long title? Anyway, that's not I, one of my expectations. I
1: should have looked that up. I'm not sure. But go ahead. Um,
0: so I expected that there will be an evil scientist named Dr. Strangelove.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: Um, There will be a nuclear bomb and it doesn't end well.
1: Uh, okay, Hey.
0: And... There's No Fighting in the War Room.
1: You knew about There's No Fighting in I the War Room? I knew there was room. about
0: There's No Fighting in the War Room.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and how, how do you... I, I know that's... Well, we can keep that. We can we can discuss that at the end. Okay. So, did you expect to like this movie?
0: I, I heard a lot of good things about it. Obviously, a bunch of people have seen it. And um, I know there were a lot of pop culture references that I probably wasn't getting, so... Um, I expected to like it. Yeah, I was going to give it three and a half stars.
1: Ooh, okay. That's good. So what was your... I'm trying not to read it. (laughs) I'm trying not to read it because right in front of you is your one-sentence TV guide description of Dr. Strangelove.
0: Uh, So, Dr. Strangelove builds a nuclear bomb and the U.S. government tries to confiscate it to prevent nuclear annihilation. (laughs) <laughs> I wish it. I wish it was
1: only that and not as serious as it was. <laughs> so, IMDb. Yes. We should say that this is a 1964 film. It's rated PG retroactively. 95 minutes. It just says comedy.
0: I don't know how this is supposed to be a co- like. There are nuclear bombs involved. Hello. Uh,
1: yeah there. Are, there are warplanes right on the poster. An insane general triggers a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically tries to stop.
0: Yeah, I didn't get that close at all. <laughs> so, not, not even... I mean, the U.S. government is trying to stop nuclear annihilation... But it doesn't really have anything to do with Dr. Strangelove or a bomb that he created. Which, by the way, you're always telling me, oh, by 20 minutes in, we should, like, if you're going to have mutiny on the bounty, you need to have the mutiny 20 minutes in. How long did we wait to see Dr. Strangelove? I
1: didn't, I, I didn't look at the time, but it's within, it's over the halfway point.
0: I was about to write down in my notes where the... F- <laughs> Is Doctor Strange.
1: Now he was at the table. He was technically at that circular table in the war room. Right. <laughs> I mean, but, evidently. Yeah,
0: but we didn't. We didn't actually see him as a character until very late in the movie.
1: By the way, I could have dealt. I kind of love the character of Doctor Strange.
0: I, well, for me, Dr. Strangelove meets a lot of the stereotypes of evil scientists, which I was expecting. Um, although he did warn against this particular path of action, which. I mean, destroying the world seems kind of evil scientisty, so that kind of doesn't match the evil scientist narrative. Is yeah. that he didn't want to do this plan?
1: And there's the the doomsday machine. He didn't even invent the doomsday machine, right? Or build it?
0: And I think he's also supposed to be representative of like the Nazi scientists who came over to to America after World War II to help build the bombs and do right. all of that. He's like stuff. the
1: he's like the von Braun, like. He's like the evil Von Braun.
0: Right, right. <laughs> um, my my other expectations, there, there was a nuclear bomb. There are several nuclear bombs, and it did not end well. So no. check on that. <laughs> and the president doesn't quite say no fighting in the war room. He says, you can't fight in here. This is the war room.
1: Gentlemen. Doesn't he say gentlemen, you can't?
0: <laughs> Something like that, yeah.
1: Well, that's the difference between, like, you know, uh, Darth Vader never says, Luke, I'm your father.
0: Right, right.
1: He says, no, I'm your father to Luke.
0: Yes. So, um, my opinion hasn't really changed. I did find it entertaining. Um, but it was a little slow in some parts, like especially when they're on the plane and they're like, you know... Uh, we need fuel pump three and blah, blah, blah. And the guy goes, fuel pump three and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I understand that's necessary in the Air Force and you have to double check. But in the movie sense, it makes it a little slow and boring.
1: Right. I understand. It does make sense to like, hey, let's double and triple check the code we got. Right. Because the code we got means... That we are in the middle of a nuclear war right now.
0: Right, right. Plan R.
1: Which is a pretty... You're going to want to be sure...
0: Yes. (laughs) That you
1: have the right numbers. But yeah, like all of the... It seems like it's one of those things like done with love. Like I'm imagining Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick had an interesting relationship with with flight and flying.
0: Uh
1: He had had a pilot's license, Uh but he was too afraid to fly.
0: Then and how did he get a pilot's license if he was too afraid to fly?
1: Well, that's a very good question. He was trying to like deal with his um,
0: phobia. Yes,
1: yeah, thank you. He was trying to deal with uh, being scared of flying. So he's like, okay, maybe if I learn more about it, I'll be able to. C- he was a very controlling director, so every th- I assume you could as- you can extrapolate. I have,
0: I've read that he's been he's a very controlling director and not exactly the nicest of people.
1: Right. So he's going to he's going to try to control everything the way he can control everything you see in a movie. So when so then yeah when it when it didn't work out when it didn't work out is he stayed he stayed in um I believe he lived he lives in the UK and he just stayed there and I'm not sure if this is the point where he was actually still able to fly or not, but anyway, he he has obviously a fascination and an interest in flying. So like all those little details, like all those you know navigational oh, things that are I kind see. of boring. I see. I, I see a guy just fascinated with flight.
0: Gotcha. You know? See, I didn't know any of that. I just thought it was boring.
1: <laughs> still boring. Still could get cut out. It's a comedy. <laughs> Let's get to the jokes.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> So um, I kept my rating, my star rating, at 3.5. I didn't change it, but it didn't go down any, but I wasn't, like, blown away either. I was just like, okay, this 3.5 solid rating, I say.
1: See, when you've heard from so many different people, when you've you've heard about it and you kind of know, I mean, there might be only seven jokes in the whole movie and you know one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for you to not lower your rating because your expectations must be must have been pretty high, because everyone's saying how great it's supposed to be, right?
0: Right. No, I could I could see a lot of what like the satirical stuff they were they were trying to do, and like especially in today's political climate, it's like people never. Well, this is this is my discussion for. Well, I guess we can talk about it. Yeah, now.
1: let's talk about um, the movie. No
0: one ever learns anything. Yeah. <laughs> not a damn thing by the end of they're like let's go down into the mine so we can survive that's and then so, they're
1: uh, they're they're in the pro- like there's bombs dropping and they're trying to come up with a contingency plan
0: right but, but they're
1: doomed probably but
0: even then they're like oh we have to protect the mines from the russian like that's how but you got boy. in this mess in the first place george,
1: so george c scott is the is the general i can't remember the general yeah very good and he goes, we can't, like, he starts talking about, like, the idea is, well, maybe we can survive if we find, if we find the right mine shafts. Right. Which is funny. Which, which is how funny. how are you going
0: to uh, find those in, the, in ten- the
1: middle of a nuclear war. Right, exactly. And then they say, um, what's the phrase he uses? <laughs> it's a great phrase, like, like, we can't beat that, we don't want to get, the Soviets can't beat us in the, in the, in the mine shaft race.
0: Oh right. Like yeah. It's no
1: longer a nuclear arms race. It's a mineshaft race.
0: Yeah. So they don't they don't ever learn, they go right back to what they were doing, which of course is a commentary on, you know, world governments, especially the United States and Russia, where it's like, Oh, you know, we're you know, nuclear what is it called D- disarmament but yeah. really we're still bu- everybody's still building nuclear weapons we're just not using them or you know what I'm not a nuclear weapon expert so I'm just saying I'm just saying that
1: All this time I thought you were a nuclear weapons expert.
0: I'm sorry to have misled you all of these years. <laughs> I am a lowly records management person with top secret doc It's not really top wow. secret documents. Please don't come after me. <laughs> <laughs> So I was kind of automatically confused when I saw the opening text, because I was thinking it was Dr. Strangelove, the evil scientist, building a bomb, right? Mm -hmm. So the opening text says, um, it is the stated position of the U.S. Air Force that their safeguards would prevent the the occurrence of such events as are depicted in this film. Furthermore, it should be noted that none of the characters portrayed in this film are meant to represent any real persons living or dead. So... My mind went, okay, somehow I guess the Air Force is in charge. Because I thought, you know, the U.S. government has to prevent the nuclear annihilation. I'm like, okay, so they're somehow going to stop Dr. Strangelove with his nuclear bomb. The Air Force is involved.
1: Yeah.
0: Not this whole thing with the general just making the call by himself and nobody can stop him.
1: Right. They're trying to point out. Now, I don't believe there was ever a time in U.S. history when there were... B fifty two bombers flying around just outside of Russian air, uh, Soviet airspace, right. ready to go in. Right. But this was just a couple of years after the uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's re- sixty four. Yeah. Kind
1: of, it's like, it's kind of a touchy, it's a touchy, ballsy thing to make a movie about. He was probably making the movie. While the Cuban Missile Crisis was going on, I'm not sure about that.
0: Well, it was based on the book, Red Alert, by Peter George. That was published in 1958, which was before the Cuban Missile Crisis. So maybe maybe the movie was based on the book, but informed by the Cuban Missile Crisis? I don't know.
1: I think you'd have... I mean, you'd. Have, I'd assume you'd have to, but...
0: I did not recognize James Earl Jones in this movie. We had to pause it so you could rewind and point him out to me. Because even his voice isn't recognizable. He was only 33 then. So it wasn't quite as deep and, um, you know, distinctive as it is.
1: He didn't have the Darth Vader effect on his voice either.
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> I've seen him in other stuff besides <laughs> Star Wars. But yeah, I I didn't recognize him. Um and I didn't realize, I don't know why I didn't realize Slim Pickens wasn't in this movie, or was in this movie. Um,
1: I, have a, I have a Slim Pickens thing I'd like to talk about. Okay, so there's there's a Slim Pickens legend that I just love, and I just want it to be true. Uh-huh. I don't know if it is or not. But evidently, Slim Pickens didn't know that this was a comedy,
0: Oh, my Lord. So
1: he played his role just straight and sincere, which is what you get in the in the movie. He, he's just a
0: we're you know, doing this He's a pilot We're and doing the bomb
1: So Kubrick didn't intend to not tell him, but when he saw what was going on and how he was how he was dealing with how he was handling the character, he just let him think that it was a straight drama
0: <laughs> Wow.
1: I don't know, if, again, I don't know if this is true or that not. It might be
0: apocryphal, but it's so funny.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so funny.
0: <laughs> um, we kind of already talked about Plan R versus the Doomsday device because no one ever learns. Yes. Unstoppable safeguards, air quotes around safeguards. They're not safeguards if you can't stop them.
1: F- fail safe?
0: Fail safes, I'm sorry, yes. Fail Fail saves? Fail saves? Fail saves. Did you notice when the military skirmish was occurring outside Burpleson Air Force Base, which I found a hilarious name for an Air Force Base, um, there was a billboard that said Peace is Our Profession, (laughs) which I found really, sadly, amusing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know what's... So I've seen this movie a few times, not to brag or anything, but it's been many, many years since I've seen it last. And... This time when I when they got to that point, I'm like, it was kind of heartbreaking because it's two forces who don't realize that they're killing their brothers. They don't realize that they're killing, you know, that it's all, you know.
0: Oh, right. Cause the people they, on
1: the base think, oh, here are the Soviets and look at their clever uniforms. We have to kill them all
0: uh-huh.
1: with their clever uniforms and their trucks that look exactly like American
0: Right. So Cuz that, I found was that the, heartbreaking. Yeah, that was the order they had been given is trust no one unless you know them personally. They may be they may look just like us. Right. Which was the ultimate communist idea is, you know, they're everywhere.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So eventually, I mean, it they eventually figure it out. And they don't have that moment. I think that would have been a little bit satisfying. I'm not sure if that would be satisfying or if it would be more heartbreaking to be like to for one of the guys to literally recognize the other guy, like there's Joe. This is definitely not the Soviets. Or like would he that's be Joe? Would
0: he be like I didn't know Joe was a communist? Bang bang bang. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, at any rate, they eventually figure it out, right? Because they stop, right? They stop fighting and then start start trying to storm the they storm the uh, the the fort, the base, the base,
0: the base. Yeah. Um. Conveniently Yes When they decide to go down into the mines That they're magically going to discover Before the nuclear fallout gets there They decide only the most Sexually stimulating
1: oh.
0: And uh, sexually stimulating and beautiful women Should go And there should be ten women To every one man We
1: have to repopulate Conveniently We have to repopulate the earth
0: No no, not if this is what not if this is what the men are gonna do is blow up the whole world. Y'all had your chance. You had your chance. Now the women are in charge. We're gonna take care of all of this.
1: All of this is irrelevant because everyone outside that room is dying.
0: True. Oh yeah, and they were gonna be like, "Oh, we'll put you down in the shafts before everyone is like dying of radiation poisoning, so you don't have to worry about that last." terrible image of your family and friends dying.
1: <laughs> but it's too late.
0: Yeah. That was just and everybody was like, oh that's a great idea, so and so let's get all the hot women down into the mines. Like
1: <laughs> speaking
0: of which, so let's get into the Bechtel test. This is gonna
1: be a short one.
0: Yes. This is the first fail that we've had. I think this might be our eighth episode. So that's pretty that's pretty good. That's more than I expected. There's only one named female character, Miss Scott. And she is um, mostly naked. <laughs> Turgidson's secretary. And she is wearing a bikini and uh, relaying phone messages to the general from some dude named Freddie. I think. Probably another general or maybe like a executive person. But anyway, um, I found it really funny that she would be like... Um, the general is indisposed at this time. And then Freddie would say something to her, and she's like, he wants to know what the code is. Like, (laughs) well, the general doesn't know the code. Could he get back to you in a few minutes? (laughs) Like, he can hear you yelling at the general. (laughs) You're a terrible secretary.
1: Yeah. The general is clearly, you could get him if you really wanted to.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so this is the first fail that we've had, which kind of surprised me, but... I mean, in a movie about war in the military, it doesn't really surprise me because I don't think at this time it was integrated, um, you know, racially, but it wasn't integrated like men and women yet, the um, the military. It was still like even
1: women's army women corps.
0: The, I don't know.
1: On a base, they wouldn't even have women? I don't know. In the, in the 60s. I'll have
0: to look that up. Um, so disability portrayal, um, we have Dr. Strangelove. Which, um, he was using a wheelchair. Um, I believe people who use wheelchairs prefer the term wheelchair, wheelchair user, not wheelchair bound. Um, just putting that out there. Why is that? Um, because the wheelchair like gives them a sense of freedom that they may not otherwise have without the wheelchair. So the wheelchair isn't binding. It's more like a... It
1: gives them the freedom.
0: Right. It's like a conveyance to get somewhere or some type of device to do something, to help them with something. And if we have any people in the audience who use wheelchairs and think that we're wrong, please tell us so we can correct ourselves. The end. Yeah. Anyway, so he was in a wheelchair, which is pretty much an automatic signifier of disability. He had on those dark glasses, which to me... Kind of say evil scientist, but kind of also say maybe he had a vision issue.
1: Right, because they're in a windowless room. A where it's dark, kind of dark, room. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, he seemed to have a bionic arm or hand. And this is where, to me, this is where... So he obviously provides the scientific voice of reason, right? I told y'all not to do this. Y'all went and did it. Now we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he's sort of presented as this... Um, like, Nazi... Like, he's the only sort of... I don't want to say loyalist because he's obviously not in Nazi Germany. But, like, he still has some um, connection or some sort of loyalty to Nazi Germany because he's, like, Mein Fuhrer. He keeps,
1: and, he keeps calling the president Mein Fuhrer. That's a problem.
0: Right. Um, And, like, his... Bionic arm or prosthetic arm keeps trying to choke him or do the Heil Hitler salute, and I'm just like, there's a there's a bunch of problematic stuff going on here. Um, portraying the one disabled person as the evil Nazi is kind of not cool, but evil um, Nazi
1: voice of reason. Those don't the voice of right, reason doesn't right, even out the exactly. Nazi.
0: Um, so. Like like I like I said with um, with a house on haunted hill like there's a reason it kind of rubs me the wrong way but I can't really articulate why it's just like why is this guy the one in the wheelchair with the bionic arm and the vision problems the one who's also a Nazi like why couldn't you know Turgiton be a secret Nazi or a secret commie or whatever you know it's just it's just a question of like assigning the different characteristics, I guess, to me.
1: Well, we also have uh, Jack Ripper. Jack Ripper is the whole cause of this. Jack the
0: Ripper. I just realized that.
1: Jack the Ripper. I didn't realize that either.
0: Although Jack the Ripper was more of a serial killer and not a genocidal maniac. He wasn't as bad as this Jack Ripper.
1: Jack Ripper, of course. But yeah, so he's the general that causes this whole, the annihilation of everything. right. And obviously, he has a break with reality.
0: Right. And then he commits suicide. So that's... Like, he commits suicide so he doesn't have to face up to the fact that he is responsible... He thinks he's going to be tortured once they catch him.
1: He also doesn't want... He doesn't want the end of the world to not happen. He kills himself. He's the only one that knows how to turn the thing off.
0: Right. Right. So... so yeah, there's it, it, some there's some mental health issues going on there.
1: He thought, I mean, he he was afraid of torture, but ultimately he didn't. He wanted it to go. Yeah.
0: He's also kind of a mega. Would he be a megalomaniac?
1: I don't have my slide rule for.
0: Or, I don't know. Yeah. Again, we're we said this in the last episode. We're not mental health professionals, and by no means armchair diagnosed. We're just trying to go with general general characteristics and tropes that. Might line up with these, I guess. That doesn't really make sense.
1: No, it makes sense. I think it's interesting to look at these things as, like, if if you want to have something, um, mental illness is sometimes is sometimes used as a cheap, you know, plot device. Right. Like, how do we get the end of the world to happen? I don't know. I have a crazy guy in charge.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: It, it's. Um, I think it's. I think it's important to sort of look at it in those in those terms. So, Virginia, are there any pop culture references that you now understand?
0: Well, we already kind of talked about you can't fight in here, this is the war room, which is so it just cracks me up because it's the war room.
1: (laughs) The irony is the war room. Very sick.
0: Um, and then also Slim Pickens riding the nuclear warhead into oblivion.
1: And what does he say while he's riding it into oblivion? He says
0: what does he say? Like Yeehaw or something.
1: I just wanted Virginia to say Yeehaw.
0: Yeehaw.
1: <laughs> Swinging his S- cowboy hat. Which By he the way, kept
0: he kept his cowboy hat in a safe, like can we for talk serious about that? business.
1: Right. So next to the codes. Where Which spells certain doom is his cowboy hat. So he puts that on when he's going into battle.
0: Right. Which right. Is
1: so great.
0: So, yeah, I've seen that. Well, in specifically one instance, but I've seen a lot of that where somebody is literally riding a nuclear warhead, like in a cartoon or like, and I'm like, what the hell is this from? Now yeah. I know. Yep. The most, the one that automatically came to mind is, of course, from Armageddon, where Steve Buscemi's character Rockhound is riding the nuclear warhead. Get
1: off the nuclear warhead.
0: I was doing that guy from that movie, you know, Slim Pickens, where he rides it all the way in the nuclear warhead. No, I didn't see that one, huh? So those two were the Need main it. the main ones that I noticed. Um,
1: you know, I noticed one that... I'm wondering if this is the first... I'm not sure it could be the very first time anyone's done this. But I can't remember movies that happened before this where they used um, the juxtaposition of music that was used ironically because the images on screen... Are like completely horrific But the music is very pleasant Like in the in the very from the very beginning This is kind of a low grade sort of thing There's very pleasant music
0: Oh when they're doing the refill The refueling in the air
1: Refueling in the air is like The most terrifying moment For everyone on those planes Like
0: One spark and you're both dead Or you're all dead right
1: Yeah and there's these giant buildings That you're flying like 15 feet apart From one another Right Lots of stuff can go wrong And it's
0: like I that? don't know if that's exactly what it was, but it was very like cal- it was like a dance because yeah. they're dancing, the planes are dancing, trying to meet up and like See, do yeah, their thing.
1: By the way, that's very very Kubrick, very Kubrickian, Kubrickian thing to mm-hmm. do. Um, but
0: then at the end, when the when the bombs were going off, what's
1: the song they play? Until we meet again. Yes. Until we meet again.
0: I don't think it was Happy Trails. Uh, That (laughs) that would have been funny.
1: Anyway, like that sort of um, that's been used in you know many many Mm -hmm. movies and TV shows. Yeah, I did
0: I did notice that, especially at the beginning, like the dancing music with the refueling.
1: Mm Hmm. So how would this movie be different with today's technology? Can we stop Jack Ripper with today's technology?
0: Well. I don't know if we could. I, really? I feel like um, since the Air Force has told us, you know, in the opening in the opening text, the Air Force has said that they have contingencies for something. I I believe the Air Force. <laughs> wink wink. <laughs> anyway, um, but everything in the war room and on the bombers would be way more advanced. I feel like um, they, um, of course, they wouldn't have. Little well, I don't know. Maybe they would have little phones in front of everybody um, when okay. um, the president calls Dimitri. Dimitri, hello, Dimitri. That was so now, Dimitri.
1: Okay, d- now Dimitri. Is that you know? When he was talking to a world leader, that was so funny.
0: I feel like that's the way Angela Merkel might have to talk to certain world leaders today.
1: <laughs> now Dimitri, he's <laughs> scolding. Is scolding? Yes. Now I I feel just as bad about this as you do. Yes.
0: <laughs> um the big board would be, be more high tech. You know, Turguson Look, look at the board. big board. Look at the big board like He's
1: going to take pictures of the big board.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so I have a couple of things. First uh-huh. of all, I think we'll be dealing with missiles. We'll be dealing with intercontinental ballistic missiles.
0: Right. Well, they did which, talk about ICBM sites.
1: That's true. But I think at the time, were they... I mean, they definitely got way, way better.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, did
1: America have Nike sites? I, I don't even
0: no know. have no idea. Um, My military history is not too great.
1: Nike sites, do you know what these are? No. They're uh, random places throughout all of these United States where there's missile silos.
0: Oh, So if we okay. were ever to
1: have a... If they were ever to attack, like... Washington, New York, all the top 10 cities. I didn't
0: realize that's what they are called. they're called. Yeah. yeah,
1: Nike sites. I'm okay. sure they stand for nuclear N and then there's a K word or whatever.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> nuclear I- Anyway, um, I think that... So you know how... I always wondered why, maybe still to this day, doctors still have pagers.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I'm like, why would you have pagers when you have like... All of the internet at your, you know, on a on your phone, uh-huh. and it's because the the pager, the system that pagers use, um, it's way more reliable, and you can be a doctor can be in the bowels of a of a hospital and still be connected. I think it works. Um, oh, it so works you're, there's not really radio, a dungeon. It works on a certain radio wave. I see that. It's way more reliable than a, than just calling somebody up on a cell phone. Huh. So I wonder if who, who is Peter Sellers' character? Well, he was all, he was Doctor Strangelove. You know, he played Doctor Strangelove and um, the the British dude.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Who was um, trying to convince Mandrake?
1: Mandrake. Yeah, he mm-hmm. plays both those
0: characters.
1: See, that's why I'm thinking he may have he may just have sunglasses on, so he so further less um... looks like Peter Sellers.
0: That would make sense, yeah. Like
1: one has gray hair, one has black hair, one has a mustache, a mustache. One does not. One has a robot arm. Anyway, so Mandrake, if we if we gave him a pager, then we just go bloop bloop bloop. Here's the here's the code.
0: Oh, like he, uh-huh. he can
1: get the code faster. Uh huh. Maybe there's a way to, to to shut things down before before the because once the once the Soviets shoot at Slim Pickens' plane. Now we can't. Now we can't communicate with them at all because the plane's been damaged,
0: right? So the radio's been damaged or whatever, right? Yeah.
1: So before we get to that point, we could stop nuclear war <laughs> if we can get Mandrake the the cease cease and desist code.
0: Right, and and I wrote this down too. Is when they first, when the people in the war room first find out, okay, um, um, Ripper has the code. He's not giving it up. But we can break the code in two days. I believe that our technology now would allow us to break the code way faster. Maybe not in the 16 minutes to an hour that it would have required Mm. in the movie. But I feel like our computers, because this movie was made before space travel... Well, before the moon landing, in the middle of space travel, right? So I don't. Margaret Hamilton was busy, you know, writing up that code by hand, so she couldn't come here to help with the code breaking. That's true. That's true.
1: (laughs) But that's that's the second problem, though. If we have today's technology, then we have one hundred and twenty-eight bit, you know, encryption. True. Wouldn't we have? True. We're thinking about this way too much.
0: And then I noticed that Mandrake tried to... This, of course, was for the comedic effect, but mm-hmm. Mandrake tried to call the president Collect from a phone booth. That's so great. And they're like, oh, he won't accept the call. What do you mean he won't accept the call?
1: Oh, and what was that... There's, there's phone technology that I didn't even know about. Like, so obviously, I know, I know about the idea of calling Collect. Uh-huh. And then what did he say? Like... There's another charge. The
0: trunk charge. Trunk
1: charge. Yeah, what I'm is that? I'm not sure what that
0: is. I wonder how, well, I'm sure the older members of our audience know what uh, collect calling is. But for you younger whippersnappers, you used to be able to call people and they would pay for the phone. Yes, you had to pay for individual phone calls sometimes. But that's
1: something you have to explain first, right? <laughs> it's not just, there's no all-inclusive, all-you-can, all-you-can, all-you-can-use phone service.
0: When we would be heading, this is beside the point. But when we would be heading back from like volleyball games or softball games in high school, we would stop at some place so we could all call our parents collect and tell them we were on our way home, so they could come get us.
1: <laughs> That's fine. well. See, we had a we had a, a code system worked out so my parents wouldn't have to wouldn't have to um, accept the charges. Money. So they wouldn't. Yeah. So they wouldn't have to accept the charges. Um, like if uh, if all I wanted to do was talk to them. And in the dorms in college, I would go. I would call, and I would um, use my my first name. Mm-hmm. Use my first name, and then they would refuse the charges. But they would call me back on the phone that uh, the the uh, the payphone that I always used. Oh, okay. And then if I was at a different phone, or I just need to talk, if it was if it was an emergency, I would say that I was Lewis. It's my middle name. Uh huh. So then if they heard Lewis, they knew that they should accept the charges, oh. write down the phone number, get whatever information, and then call me back.
0: Interesting. That's a good code.
1: It's useless now, but well, thank yeah.
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all I had for today's technology. Do you have anything else to discuss?
1: Well, I love... I'm, I haven't said it yet, but I, I don't think I have, but I love Stanley Kubrick.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Stanley Kubrick movies can be a little intense.
0: Yes, that's true.
1: Sometimes they can either, like, just blow your head off your shoulders or bore your head off your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look forward to watching more Stanley Kubrick movies.
0: I look forward to watching more Cary Grant movies.
1: Oh, uh, See? <laughs> this is what you call mad, mutually assured destruction.
0: <laughs> and on that happy note, I think that about wraps it up. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and also on the Cosmic Potato, Cosmic Potato Podcast Network at CosmicPotato.com. Episode transcripts and links to what we talked about are available on our website at WaitYou'veNeverSeen.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter under WaitYNS, and, and you can also email us at WaitYou'veNeverSeen at gmail.com.
1: Leave us some feedback or let us know if you have any suggestions for movies we should watch next. That's our show. Next time we'll be watching The Best Years of Our Lives.
0: Yay!
1: I will try to stay awake.
0: (sighs) Whatever. Thanks. So good. (laughs) Thanks
1: for listening.
0: Oh, man. We're so silly.